Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Francis. Dre, how have you been, man? I'm hanging in there, man. Watching the hot stove heat up, waiting, counting the days, trying to figure out, you know, when 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 do we get started? I mean, we're 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 anticipating hopefully a good spring training and a, and a, and a little bit more of a normal spring training. But I'm, I'm excited to find out when we actually can can hit the ground running a little bit. Yeah, I mean, knock on wood, we're under a month now. February seventeenth supposed to be the start dates, and as of this recording, it's January eighteenth. So Nothing, we're, nothing nothing's changed. We're a month away. So yep. far, so good. Okay. Knock, knock on wood. Let's hope nothing changes. We have about 29, 30 days until we have the formality of it. But <laughs> as of right now, we're almost in that home stretch. And a few more rules cleared up, haven't they? Like, uh, like I think we're we're gonna have some seven inning uh, double headers again. If uh, if if that's the case. Yeah, uh, Bob Nightingale of USA Today, he reported that the seven-inning the seven inning doubleheaders, and I believe he also reported that runners starting on second and extra innings are going to be approved for 2021. If only we could find out if there's going to be a designated hitter. That's yeah. seriously the main thing that is, we're sort leaving, of leaving the most important on. one. Right, leaving the most important one for last. Yep, especially for, fittingly, for a Marlins team where your two of your best hitters are both at first base. Right. Yeah, key decisions to to be made during you know in lineup changes and that sort of thing when when you're deep at both spots. But they got to know: can we afford to put a guy just to hit or not? And and we're still waiting. Let's see. I I think we're headed toward that though at some point. If not this season, just the way baseball and big contracts and the way the way it's all shaping out, I, I would be shocked if we don't go to this at some point permanently. Yeah. No, I would. My gut would say that the next collective bargaining agreement, which again that's due by the end of the year. Right. My gut would be that that's going to be involved in, the, in there. And why, and why get rid of it for a year and then go right back to it at that exactly. point? You know? Exactly. And on that note, with Cooper and Aguilar, they're two guys who are part of our first topic of discussion today. Uh, arbitration deals or deadlines to settle deals before going to arbitration meetings were done last week, and the Marlins settled with all seven of their guys. And mm-hmm. with this year in particular, since we were going off a 60-game schedule, the projections by MLB trade rumors, who for the past few years has done a really great job of getting very close to getting the actual projections correct. Yeah. Our projections were kind of all over the place because it was hard to tell how teams were going to treat counting stats like hits, home runs, RBIs when you have a 60 game season instead of 162. And yeah. when we look at the deals that the Marlins made, especially with the five that were done right at the deadline, the Marlins. And the players settled at deals that were right near the higher end of higher end of the projections. We look at Brian Anderson, which was the biggest person, in my opinion, to see whether or not he would get locked up before an arbitration hearing. He was projected anywhere between 2.2 million and 4.3. They settled at 3.8, which right. for Anderson in his first year of arbitration, that's a great number. That's, that's a, great, a great jump for him. Yeah, it's a great and deserve start. too. Oh, yeah. definitely deserved. That's after what we've seen from him the last three years. Yeah. Now, the obviously the conversation is going to be: Is there going to be a long-term contract that's going to be getting in place? Obviously, Kim Ang, new Marlins general manager, said she wants to wait until she has a full year in person of watching him. But you mm. would have to imagine that this would be the year that they would try to get something done because he's not going to get any cheaper. And I, and I like it's it's almost like a little bit of a of an incentive too, you know. It's like where they're they're still in that mode where they're trying to see, you know, trying to see what's what can be done. But it's a it's a it's a little bit of a sign. Let's say, hey, we appreciate you, and we we want you to we 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 intend for you to be part of this. So for now, take this kind of a thing, and then 
let's see if they can work out the deal because there's a, like, yeah, there's a lot of factors still to, to come. I mean, anything can happen during the season and, and that, and then going back to MLB trade rumors, I'm definitely cutting them some slack because I know, you know, we're, we're going to talk later about prospects and it was hard to gauge some of this without a minor league season. So I felt it in a different arena of baseball, I felt their pain. So if they were off on the money figures, I, I don't blame them. Not, not, you can't blame anybody coming off last season, but, but, but Andy was happy to see well-deserved, and, 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 a lot, and a lot of other guys, too. And it was good to see them settle in a way, too. because And you saw that trend throughout baseball. Not a lot of cases at all. Like, a lot of teams, you know, whether they're, you know, big-time payroll teams or not, you know, reached, reached settlements pretty quickly and pretty easily. Yeah, and to ha- recap quickly through the other numbers, obviously we already knew Jesus Aguilar got $4.3 million and Garrett Cooper got $1.8 million. That was done back when they tendered contracts a few weeks ago. As for the other four, in addition to Anderson, who settled right at the deadline, uh, catcher Jorge Alfaro, $2.05 million. He was projected anywhere between one seven and two two. Uh, Adam Simber got 925000 He was projected between 800000 and a million. Yeah. And then the so other, still in the ranges. Yeah, definitely still in the range. And then there were <laughs> the other that the numbers really popped out at me. Richard Blyer was projected between 1.1 and 1.5. The Marlins gave him 1.425, right on the edge of the upper number. Mm. And then Yimmy Garcia, great guy in the middle, in the seventh, eighth innings, and looking like he's going to be the closer as of right now, was projected between 1.4 million and 1.8 million. The Marlins gave him 1.9 million, 100,000 over the highest of MLB trade rumors projection. Well, well you got to lock up your closer. I mean, exactly. at this point, they're not, you know, you know, they're not Brad Han, Brad Hans probably not walking through that door, barring, barring something insane. So they, they got to lock him in. And I think that again, similar to Andy, you know, they, they, a good reward for a guy who, who pitched really well last year and really showed them something as a, as a piece that can be their high leverage or a closer at this point, I'm thinking he's the guy, at least going into the season that they're going to tab to, to lock games down for him. Yeah, and with Blyer's contract, you would think that he's going to be your seventh or eighth inning guy with the pay bump that he's yeah. getting. And then now it's really just a matter of figuring out who that third primary late inning high leverage guy is going to be. I mean, it could be James Hoyt. It could be Adam Simber. We could see what happens with the Rule 5 guys. I'm usually hesitant about putting them right in right away. Or do they go sign somebody? Or if they sign, or they could sign somebody, and then there's also the potential of Jeff Brigham or Alex Vesia having a bounce back after the COVID, after having a real setback last year after testing positive for COVID yeah. and missing as much time as they did. Maybe they get a little bit of an extra look when spring training rolls around, and they have a lot of moving parts there. And that's probably one of the biggest areas that they still have some work to do as they finish up this final month of free yeah. agency in the offseason. And Vesia in particular, you almost wish he could. I mean, the lefty had such a good run throughout the minors and then comes up and struggles a lot. And that was one thing that, that you know, kind of sucked to see because you had hopes that he could fit in as a piece in that bullpen. So, you know, but but still jury's still out a little bit on him. Maybe, you know, give him one more chance this season and see if he can bounce back strong. And he would be a, a valuable asset, especially, like I said, being a lefty that you could put in there to kind of, you know, balance that group together. Yeah, and now as we take a quick look at the Marlins payroll, now that we have these arbitration-eligible guys with their deal settled, those seven alone are making a combined $16.2 million going into the season. Then you add in Starling Marte's $12.5 million option, Corey Dickerson making $9 million, Miggy making $5 million, uh, Ross Detweiler making about 850000 
that's 11 guys that are making just over 44 million. And then if you add in the remaining 15, which as it would stand with the Marlins roster right now would be around the league minimum, maybe getting a little bit more here and there, depending on the person that's about 52 and a half million, give or take where the Marlins are at right now with the roster going into spring training. Yeah, and it's up from the 41 and a half, but the the important part is all that money's being invested into their current actual team yes, it is. and not Wei and Chen. So, you know, in in that sense it's good to see that they that that the payroll has gone up a little bit and 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 the most important thing is spending it wisely and 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 trying to get the good assets that'll assets that'll fit together. But you know, do you wonder how much do they have wiggle room left internally to get maybe get one more piece for that pen, maybe add one more bat, you know, before the season begins? I mean, there's still there's still a lot of free agents out there, but you know, coming off a really tough financial year, especially for a team with their payroll, you know, they're coming out of it a little bit, you know, they're they're, they're staying afloat, which is good, but at the same time, you're looking at around the division and and the splashes some of these teams have made, especially the Mets, and you're thinking to yourself at some point. You know the pocketbook, the checkbook is going to have to be a little higher to be able to 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 hang tough with these teams and 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 really make a dent in years to come. Definitely, and then there's also still one more arbitration number, not directly on the Marlins, that some Marlins fans are taking a look at the six point six five million that the Cubs settled with catcher with catcher Wilson right. Contreras, which yeah. the Marlins speaking have been, of the bat. <laughs> yes, yeah, speaking of the bat, the Marlins have been linked to him. They have had some introductory conversations. Nothing is really – no real ground has been made. No, There's not really a lot of steam there yet. That's not to say that there won't be as this next month unfolds. But we've seen the Cubs. They've been trying to get younger. They've been trying to trade some of their guys. They sent you Darvish over to the Padres not too long ago, him and their backup catcher, Victor Caratini. And yeah. all they got in return, they got Zach Davies and they got four Padres pos- prospects all within their number 11 and number 16 ranking. No one in the top 10. So mm. you have to imagine if that's what they were getting for you, Darvish, yeah. the Marlins could potentially swing something here with their pretty deep farm system to potentially try to swing something if they're willing to take on the, the 6.65 there from Wilson Contreras. Yeah, I mean, Wilson Contreras would definitely add, you know, the veteran presence, the bat, you know, the, the very, you know, the solid presence behind the plate as well. More of a proven commodity obviously than Alfaro that they're still waiting for to see what he's going to be if he's going to live up to to that to that potential that he has or is he going to be is he going to be this guy that struggles and strikes out a lot you know we 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 love the aggressive play at times but other times you know he has hurt himself back there and you kind of like cringe sometimes when he's like crashing into the railing but you like you you want to see more from him in in the sense of of the bat improving and you know the power is there but you know just a more discipline at the plate and, and striking out less. So it's going to come down to, does the organization still believe he can achieve those things or have they gotten to the point where they're thinking it's worth the risk quitting on him and going after a proven asset like Contreras. And then like you talked about the price tag. Yeah, it wasn't top 10 prospects, but it was a pretty good amount of them though. So it is still going to be something kind of costly if it's, if it goes along those parameters and that's where you look at the system. And yeah, it won't cost them say, you know, an Edward Cabrera or, you know, a guy who's in the top 10 maybe, but is it, do you, do you part with guys at positions where they're pretty deep right now in terms of bodies, like maybe outfielders is what I look at. Like, you know, those are the guys that are ranked in the teens right now for the Marlins. If you look at their system, 
you've got Connor Scott, you've got Cameron Meisner, you've got, you know, Gerard Encarnacion's in there, um, you know, guys like that. Or do you go for the prospects that are super young that still have that, that is just all upside right now, like the Dax Fulton that was just acquired, that was just drafted last year. Is that, is that what it's going to take? Nassim Nunez, a guy who's still, you know, in the lower levels of the minors, you know, they, they like Jose Salas a lot. I don't think they'd want to give up. I don't think they want to give him up, but that's another, but he's another guy, you know, 18 years old. That's still, or, or almost 18 years old, I believe that that still has a lot of upside, a lot of potential for the future. So what balance do you take there where you don't want to gut your farm system too much at key spots? and still be able to get a valuable player like him. And then looking at the fact of how long is this asset going to help your team? Because if you're going to pay that much, you definitely want it to be something worthwhile. That's going to, you know, a player you can put behind the plate for, for, for a few years down the road. Definitely. I mean, it's still that balance that the Marlins have been trying to find since the new ownership group took over three years ago of finding ways to build up your, build up the farm system, make it as deep as they can. And then the, find the ways to maybe ex- maybe take advantage of some of that depth like they did with the Starling Marte trade right. back at the deadline when they were able to trade away Caleb Smith and Humberto Mejia and that surplus of pitching that they had to find a center fielder that they would have for a season and a month with the way the 2020 season went last year. The fact they're able to have him in center field for a full season now while the rest of the outfield continues to churn out and develop and not get rushed up. Whereas now you have to also look at the fact that where their catching situation is, if Jorge Alfaro isn't your long-term guy, who do they really have right now? They have right. Chad Wallach who, as their number two right now. They have Sandy Leone on a non-roster invite to spring training. Right. And when you look in the system, it's Will Banfield. It's Will and Banfield in the end. That's yeah. really it. And Will Banfield still hasn't played above a ball yet. Right. So if you, if Alfaro turns out to not be the guy you really don't have a backup option yet. Right. So it's really the Marlins have that that decision of do I do we stay, do we go, do we make a move, do we hold still? And it really could, could make a really big difference with that one spot with how things end up unfolding over this these next year or two. And that's where you look at it. Wilson Contreras is going to turn 29 on May 13th. So do you need, and Will Banfield is still probably two years away, let's say optimistically looking at it, that he would make it to the major leagues. Some scouts think he's just going to be a backup. Some scouts thinks he think that he could, he has the defensive tools and maybe the bat will come along just enough to, to be a major league catcher, a starting major league catcher. We'll see. But that bridge in between, you want to keep, let's say if you get a Contreras, you want to make sure that he's going to be the guy that least that can bridge your way until Banfield's ready. And that's the key aspect right there that they have to make a decision on. Yeah. And on that note, let's take a quick break here, and then we can do a lot more prospect talk. Uh, Baseball America announced their top 100. There were a lot of Marlins on there. And if I remember correctly, a a certain someone on this podcast had a pretty – hefty role in the Marlins rankings on there. So we'll let him discuss, discuss it a little bit more in depth when we come back. (laughs) Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas city, go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. 
All right, everybody, we're back. We're in the home stretch here. Uh, Baseball America on Monday unveiled its top 100 rankings for for MLB prospects heading into 2021. The Miami Marlins had six guys on the top 100. It was tied with, I believe it was Toronto for the second most, and there was one other team that had seven. Uh, but if we just take a quick look at the list, it has most of the names that you would expect. Uh, Sixto Sanchez at number six overall. J.J. Bladé at 43. Uh, last year's first-round pick, Max Meyer at 44. Jazz Chisholm at 77. Edward Cabrera at 81. And Trevor Rogers rounding out the Marlins at number 89. Uh, Dre, you got to rank the you got to rank the top prospects for the Marlins for Baseball America. Can you just walk us through, especially first off, we'll start with these six first off, how you came to set the these six in this world. Obviously, we know Sixto's one, but yeah. there is a lot of wiggle room throughout two through six and throughout the rest of the top 10 for that matter. Yeah. It was San Diego, by the way, with seven Toronto and the Marlins tied with six. That was the, the and, and, and we, and it was the Marlins, not the Mariners. I know they had a little flub there earlier, yeah. but baseball America fixed it. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, going back to, I mean, six though, the, I remember even talking to you at games last year and telling you, please don't exceed the innings limit because it's such a, it's a, it's such a home run pick to put him at number one. It makes things so much easier for me to do the rest. And it, and luckily he didn't. So, yeah, clearly coming into his second year, we want to see if he can follow up what he did and continue to improve upon it. Everyone knows the story, the, the, you know, the, the talent that he has the potential to be. So the number one was a no-brainer. After that, I think Blade was easy, too, because of the fact that he's their top-hitting prospect. We saw what he did at Vanderbilt. And, and if that can translate, you know, especially from the left side of the plate, which plays well at Marlins Park, he seems – and he had a tremendous camp. I mean, from – the Marlins brass to scouts, everybody was raving about just the work that he did at the at the alternate site last year, even though they weren't able to play games. And it seems like the whole package is coming along little by little. You know, we, we did see him in Jupiter the year before. So it's a matter of seeing him now if they can get the season going to face a, a other competition again. But, you know, progress as well with him and Max Meyer, he, you know, the first round pick that surprised some people at the time. But. When you look at that combo, it's it's a 70 fastball, it's a 70 slider. If he gets the third pitch, we're talking someone pretty dangerous that can be in that rotation, maybe come 2024 20, or 23 around there, maybe depending on the timeline, how, how fast he he projects. But, I mean, they can't wait to get him, uh, you know, facing hitters from other teams just to see what he can do. So the top three right there. And then I, I went with Jazz mainly because of what he – I mean, I know he didn't hit – tremendous but i think he showed a lot of potential especially on the defensive side of the ball and there were moments where he showed that that pop at, at, at bat and it's it's kind of again just a matter of you know can he continue to develop that plate discipline in, in, at the major league level and continue to progress and looking at the future projection i mean he could be the starter at second base if things go go his way and we know they're kind of like molding him to be the shortstop but he could be a starter right away so that was part of it too and then after that you know, we were wondering if Edward Cabrera was going to break through last year. He got close. I think he's going to definitely do it this year. Very similar to Sixto in the, in terms of the type of pitcher he is. And then rounding out the six, I had you had Trevor Rogers. Trevor Rogers, who I, you know, shame on me for having a blip there because to me was the surprise one of the biggest surprises of last year. And I that's agree. the thing. BA had him before we did this project. BA I think had him around like nine or ten. I think it was, it was nine in last year's rankings in the, in the handbook, but he made a huge jump and, and got, and scouts and, and their, and the Marlins all raved about how his slider was the big key. It, it suddenly, it had so much life and it was so much of much of a better pitch. 
and he earned it. He made the like the 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 Marlins brass felt okay. If anyone deserves a shot right now, looking beyond six though, it's him. Let's get him up. And then one thing is to get called up, but another thing is to get called up and hold your own and pitch well at the major league level, especially in a season like last year where it was like one time. I mean, look at Braxton Garrett. He got one chance, two chances, and it didn't go so well. But Trevor sees that opportunity. The numbers weren't spectacular, but they were pretty good. And we're looking at a guy that if they had advanced or if they had put up a little more of a fight against the Braves, maybe he gets the start in game four yeah. against the Braves. He was still a consideration to be in the rotation, potentially in the playoffs. So that's that shows you what he was able to do. So I, so that was the jump for him to get him into that top six range. Yeah. And then a couple quick things on these guys before we expand the group out. When I know that you ordered them one through six in your rankings. When you saw the national rankings come out and you saw Lede at 43 and then having Meyer right after him at 44, yeah. what was your reaction on that, seeing how close they that the national selections came out with that? Well, I, I think it's again, it's like what what my uh, my my editors over there really really feel highly about Meyer's potential. I think it's it, it's more of that than a knock on Bladé. I think Bladé is established as their top guy, like we said before, but I think they believe Meyer is going to be an asset. And I think if you again, I think it goes down to can he complement that fastball and slider? At worst, it's two quality enough pitches where maybe if he's not a starter, he's going to be a hell of a reliever. And, and like a, like a very upper tier type, you know, could be if those two pitches hold up and, and everything goes well. But if he adds another one and it, it gets to maybe not a 70 pitch, but it gets to something like a, a very decent offering, maybe like a 55 type, something like that. Then you're talking another dangerous uh, piece in that rotation. And then, you know, one of the hardest parts was trying to they want to they we have something that's going to come out in the handbook that projects. I think you can catch it on the website already that projects the 2024 potential look mm -hmm. of the Marlins. And it was hard to pick those five. I mean, with, with the guys that are there now still and the guys that are coming up, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a log jam, really. And when you look at who the closer might be by then, there's not a lot of good options right now. So it's like almost think like which is going to be – which one is going to be the guy? Who's going to be the guy that's going to slip out of that rotation potential and become – not just their closer, but potentially could become a really good closer in the in in the big leagues. Yeah, and with your projections on here, I mean, four of the five guys are already were with the group last year in six O, Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, and Trevor Rogers. So yeah. to think that they already have four fifths of your projected twenty twenty four starting rotation, yeah, already together, and then having Max Meyer as the fifth. I see where you're going there with the closer. You have Edward Cabrera there, which I feel like I can understand. It could honestly, depending it's on possible. how, depending on how both he and Max Meyer, how either one of them yeah. shakes out, you could easily flip flop the two, depending on what really yeah. develops with them moving forward. And even last, even before last season, when he pitched, you know, the, the when he had his 32 starts and really established himself as a starter, people were projecting saying maybe Sandy ends up being that type of guy down the road. He's got that kind of stuff with his fastball. But, you know, Sandy now looks like he's he's fortifying his spot in the rotation for the long term. So that's not that that talk is subsided. But a lot of these other guys and then you look at if they don't trade him a Dax Fulton. That's another piece right there that could move in there. And then they have others, you know, and when you go beyond like their top 10 guys, there there there's some draftees that could be either relief pieces or end up being rotation pieces down the road. I mean, you look at Kyle Nicholas. Another hard-throwing fastball type guy. It just depends on can he add to that. 
you know, uh, Zach McCambly's another one that has a pretty good pitch arsenal. You know, there, there, there's a few in there, you know, pitchers to, to touch on the whole potential trade part. I w- pitchers have to be a part of that deal. If they're going to get, let's say a Contreras or something like that, because I think they've got so many arms right now that I think they're, and we've seen it with past trades the last couple of years. Yeah. And I mean, as a certain former president of baseball operations used to say, you can never have too much starting pitching. <laughs> no, you, you don't. You don't. It's like a fantasy team. You know, you have enough the, you have enough assets to, to have the depth or if you need to make trades, then you've got the pieces for it right there. Yeah. And then to just close us out here, the final four from your top 10, the full top 30 will come out when the handbook comes out. But your seven yeah. through 10 were Lewin Diaz at seven, outfielder Jesus Sanchez at eight, Braxton Gary at nine, and then Jose Devers at 10. I mean, yeah. we saw we saw Lewin, Jesus Sanchez, and Braxton at the big leagues. Jose had a pretty big jump there. I mean, I know other areas. I know MLB Pipeline still has him in the teens. There so hasn't updated yet. If I remember correctly, Devers was somewhere in the teens range, mid-teens for Baseball America. Just what made you give him the jump up to 10? Well, it was interesting because that 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 spot had a lot of debate between me and my editors because, you know, Monte Harrison was in the mix. I mean, he's fallen a little bit because of his struggles at the plate, but he did make the major league roster. But, I mean, by the end of the season, he was pretty much just pinch running. So that, I mean, while that tool is obviously, a, a, you know, he's a blazer. If you look at some of the, the, the best tools in the system that we did also, he's a lot of them, like in terms of defensive outfielder, the athleticism, that sort of thing. He's got all of that. But the bat is the worry, you know, the, the you know, 52% strikeout rate was pretty eye opening. And, and initially I had him there at 10, but after some talk, we kind of, we slid him down a little bit. He's still near the top though, but you kind of want to see that from Monte in the next year or so, if he can finally, and he's age 25 now too. So it's got to happen pretty soon for him to really take that jump. But Jose, he's been hurt a lot, but you looked at the numbers. He hit really well in a pitching friendly league in Jupiter when he did play. So it's almost one of those things where you saw him on the taxi squad last year and he was hitting. I think I even asked you a couple of times, like how's he looked in the, on, you know, on the field there after games and he's continued to impress. And the chatter from scouts and everybody else was that this kid has continued to impress and he has, he's got one of the most consistent hit tools in the system. You know, he's going to be a top of the order type. You know, the, the one thing with him is obviously it's always people talk about the skinny frame. Can he hold up? That sort of thing. He's got decent speed. It's going to be a top of the lineup type, but can it can it all hold up? So there's still a lot of questions with him, but I think in that, to answer your question, I think it was like one of those things where if there was one guy you're going to maybe gamble on to maybe be in that spot and maybe go on upside, he'd be the one. And then seven and eight real quick. I, seven and eight was one of the biggest struggles for me. That You can toss that one way or the other. I didn't want to knock Jesus down too much, even though he struggled big time at the big league level. A lot of people that I talked to said – that it would the big leagues the 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 stage kind of got to him in his first time that it was all you know a lot of wide eye that sort of thing but they think that as soon as he got back to the alternate training site it started clicking again and it's one of those things where a guy with that kind of potential that those kind of tools you don't want to you don't want to take that one for 25 too too alarmingly you do it, it raises a red flag but at the same time you give him the chance this year to kind of work his way back up so that was why but him and Lewin I think it was kind of interchangeable at seven or eight, you know, and Lewin all put him because of the fact that I think a lot of people think he's already major league ready to be a major league starter at first base, just on the defensive potential alone. And then with that power at the left on the left-hand side of the plate, again, another guy that could hit very well at Marlins park for years to come. And Braxton, 
we saw what happened. The, the brief bits did not look good. The velocity was down. So that was a little bit alarming, but you keep him in the top 10 because there's still a lot of potential with him and being a lefty lefties are always valuable. And I think he's going to have a chance to bounce back. And again, remember with Braxton, he was supposed to be really getting his first taste of double a right when going into 2020. So the fact that he had, they needed him to make the jump last year and get thrown into that situation. You saw a couple bright spots, but you still saw where there is some nurturing to do some maturing to do when it comes with, his routine and his performance. But to go back to Jose Devers for just a quick second, I still remember watching during the playoff run after each of the games, especially the games in Houston for the uh, divisional series, the taxi squad got to do their workouts after the game. So while I was mm -hmm. sitting there writing from my spot in down the first baseline, I was sitting there getting to watch them take BP, take a little bit of live action. And the 20 or so minutes each day that I got to watch, Jose looked good every yeah. single time. I still remember him. He scorched, I want to say, at least three balls in a row off of Jordan Holloway that were either home runs or just off the wall all three times. And the sound off the bat was incredible. And to think that we know that he's still a couple years away, but... Was it was it Holloway's heaters each time, pretty much? I believe it was, yes. For the okay. most part, it was, yes. But just the fact that we're able to see that now and to see that in person, especially after not getting the chance to really see it at see it in the live settings last year right it, it was great to see the see that he's still making this taking those steps forward and making that progress and potentially going to be a guy who is going to pan out and it's going to be interesting to watch what happens with him as they move forward into 2021 where they place him to start the year whether they having him stay starting high a again or have him go into double a mm -hmm. depending on whether they want to send him up to wisconsin or send him to pensacola mm -hmm. but it's going to be – he's an intriguing piece, and that and I was actually really excited to see him. Blue in Wahoos. <laughs> Blue Wahoos. But I was excited to see Jose in the – Jose Devers in the top ten because I do feel like eventually he is going to be one of those guys. Yeah. So it was well, – And that's why, that's why I asked you if it was Holloway's uh, fastballs too because you're talking to a guy who throws upper 90s. Mm -hmm. So if he's hitting that and he's putting good contact, putting good exit velo on that, in, in spite of people like to say the scrawny little body or whatever. Mm -hmm. But look at him. If he's putting that – he's been making really good contact off an upper 90s hurdler, that's, that shows you something. You know, I mean, that, that's a major – and Holloway too, mm -hmm. again, another – right now I guess you could say fringe major leaguer who got a taste and is right on the cusp of coming up again. So he's not, that's not, a, that's not a single A guy. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that, that's quality. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that's going to wrap us up today. We have, I think three or four more of these before everything starts picking up for real. So keep following us. We'll be back again next week. And as always, thanks so much for listening to Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. We'll be back next week, everyone. Thanks so much.